Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Uh, my name is Todd Hall. I'm the lead pastor here at Exchange. It's a real blessing and privilege to be able to come now and open up God's Word this morning as we uh, continue on our series looking through the book of Revelation. Has anybody heard of the person Nims Perja? Nobody? That's all right. Nims Perja is a mountaineer and he climbed the world's 14 highest peaks of over 8,000 metres each, which includes obviously Mount Everest. So the world's highest, 14 highest peaks. He climbed those 14 mountains in seven months. That's pretty amazing stuff. He had a support team with him that actually enabled him to conquer what everybody thought was insane. Who, who goes and climbs those mountains like in seven months? And if you um, hear his words and that, his weapon for conquering those mountains was, he says he doesn't fear anything. He doesn't fear anything. He conquers by not fearing. I'm not sure that's true if you're really depressing about life. I'm sure everybody has a fear somewhere in life, but that's how he conquered those mountains. Uh, Jesus also wants us to conquer life, not so much the 14 highest peaks around the world. He wants us to conquer life and to receive the ultimate joy and blessing in salvation. And we won't conquer by not fearing, as Nims Perja says. We will conquer because Jesus has already conquered before us and enables us to conquer whatever's before us in our life through his strength. We're going to take that into Revelation today. So if you've got your Bibles, please go to Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to read just the first seven verses, which will bookend where... Um, Louis read for us before at the end of chapter 3. So chapter 2, verse 1, let's start there. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the first, the love you had at first. Remember from where you have fallen and repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, to let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Lord, we thank you again that we can gather this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this glorious book, the book of Revelation. We ask and pray now, the Holy Spirit, as we come and begin to open this book up, uh, we ask and pray for your help this morning that we would see what you are communicating through the Apostle John and that is you want us to conquer. You want us to conquer what is before us in this life no matter what we have to go through. So we ask and pray for your help now as we look at that and we ask it in your name Jesus and for your glory. Amen. 
I can't say I wouldn't blow you all out of the room with that. Okay, so um, if you haven't already received, we have a, a Revelation handout, which you might have got as you walk through today. If you want one of those, I would say go back to the info desk later on. Really, really important as we go through the book of Revelation, you have that handout because there's some really important helps there that help actually help us to understand how we read and grasp this uh, really mysterious book called the book of Revelation, but also not such a mysterious book, but a glorious book uh, for revealing Christ to us. And you might ask this question, why are we doing the book of Revelation? Well, firstly, it's a very important part of the Bible and we do want to open that up. It's a very practical and relevant book for every part of Christian life, no matter where we are in life. uh, Revelation is there to be uh, helping us to see the glory and the wonder of Jesus Christ uh, right through that book. Uh, Revelation has the good news, it has the good news of the gospel of grace all the way through it. All the way through the book of Revelation, it's got the gospel right through there. Now, I don't approach Revelation as an expert scholar, so don't think, has Todd got all this worked out? No, but, but, through faithful reading and prayer, uh, seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance as I read, as I think, as I study, as I look at other works around this, also with the help of other wise people who have really studied Revelation very well, that God has gifted to shed light onto this wonderful book. Uh, we look at this book with open hearts and open eyes to see Christ grow in our hearts today as we go through this uh, book of Revelation. So today we're going to look at these seven letters written to the seven churches here of Asia Minor. Now, there's a few different ways you could actually go through these seven letters to the seven churches. You could actually do a series on that alone, the seven letters to the seven churches. Uh, We're not going to do that at this time, and I promise you I will come back at a later date, may not be this year, but possibly next year, that we will do a series on the seven letters to the seven churches. But what we're going to do today is we'll take a common thought that is reflected through every church or every letter here that Jesus says to be communicated to those churches. Then we'll take an overview of those couple of chapters. So what, uh, what, what I would encourage you with is when we send the email out on Fridays, actually read those couple of chapters. It really does help to dial you in when we get here on Sunday. If you don't read the reading we put there, it'll take a little while for you to catch up and sort of see what you're up to. So really important that we do that. So we're going to take an overview of those um, two chapters today. Now these seven letters are really an important piece of the book of Revelation. Why is that? It actually gives, gives us a real face to think about. This book is addressed to real people who are facing a real struggle. And you actually see that reflected through these seven letters. Now, as much as some people may try and symbolise these seven letters into the seven ages of the church history, and many would say we're in the Laodicean church age at this time, we cannot escape the fact that these people are just like you and me. They're actually going through struggles in life. They're dealing with stuff, difficult stuff. And they're trying to live out their Christian faith in these trials and tribulations. These seven letters give us a real face here to connect with. These seven churches, groups of people, are responding to the pressures of this world in different ways. And we see that reflected through these letters as well. Some churches are going really deep in their convictions of the gospel or the convictions of Jesus Christ. And they're standing strong and conquering. But other churches here are feeling the pressure of the world they're in and trying to live out their faith 
and they're actually compromising on the gospel and they're becoming like the world around about them. You've got varying churches here responding in various ways. As we think about it today, here's our big idea that's going to shape where we're going. No matter what's ahead of us, no matter what we will have to go through, Jesus will enable us to conquer as we hear and follow his word. No matter what's ahead of us, no matter what we will have to go through, Jesus will enable us to conquer as we hear and follow his word. Okay, so what's really clear in here in these letters and through Revelation is that the followers of Jesus will go through difficult times. As you read these letters, you see it all over the place, particularly in these two and uh, second and third chapter. Uh, in Ephesus, Jesus says, you're enduring patiently and you're bearing up under the weight of suffering for my name's sake. You're, you're going through an endurance. You're actually bearing up under suffering. In Smyrna, Jesus says, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison and you'll have tribulation for many days. And then in Pergamon, uh, Jesus again says, my faithful witness, Antipas, has been killed during the persecution you faced. Really important here, as Jesus highlights, the followers of Jesus, followers of him, will go through difficult times. And see, this is where John's at. He knows and hears about these sufferings that these churches are going through. And his pastoral heart wants to reach out to these seven churches, wants to reach out to these seven groups of people to encourage and strengthen them during this Christian journey that they are in. And the point is this, this is the normal Christian life to face challenges and difficulties. This is normal. This is not abnormal. Uh, John wrote earlier in his gospel where Jesus said this in John 16, he said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And Paul again, as he was ministering to the various churches around the Mediterranean world at that time, and he was planting churches, he says this in Acts chapter 14. He says in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Not will, not maybe, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, a point to note here is this. The cultural West, where we live, Australia is considered a Western culture, has enjoyed a really long period, centuries, of gospel peace with general acceptance of Christianity within the culture. Uh, since Australia was discovered by Captain Cook in 1970, nearly said 1970, that was a 200-year celebration then, wasn't it? 1770 and settled a few years later, we've experienced probably 250 years of general acceptance of Christian principles. In fact, Western culture's foundations are built on Christian principles. No matter what Western culture you go to in the world, it's actually built on Christian principles. But, but, there's definite fault lines now showing through culture in the last, say, two or three decades. There's a rising pushback now against Christian thinking, Christian principles and even Christian moral standing. In some respects, as we think about that, our Western culture 
has lived in this sort of bubble in comparison to the rest of the world. We live in this sort of peaceful bubble. Now, I'm thankful for that, but it's not like what other parts of the world experience around about us. As we think about our Western culture, as we think about perhaps we've been immune from pressure for being Christians, uh, let me say this lovingly to you. If you've been given a ticket to Christianity that says if you become a follower of Jesus that your life will be just a bed of roses, that all of your dreams of the good life will come true and there'll be no real challenges for life with you, if you've been given that ticket for Christianity, you've been scammed. That's not true. Someone's sold you a false ticket to the gospel. Someone's sold you a false ticket to Jesus. Just read through the New Testament really slowly, go back through all the epistles and the gospels and take note of the troubles they continually faced. Go onto the Open Doors website where Doug prayed for before and see what other followers of Jesus are facing around the world. Go there and see what they're dealing with. Keep your eyes and ears open to the cultural changes that are happening around about us and ask yourself these questions. Are these changes gospel-centred directions that the world's going in when their culture makes changes? And you'll soon see, no, they're not. We live in a bubble. You see, the normal Christian life is marked by challenges and by difficulties. Following Jesus will place us in positions of choice. Will I follow the world or will I follow Jesus? Will I fall in with the crowd and go along with them and do what they're doing or will I make a stand for Christ that may cost me my reputation and make me look odd, make me sort of stand out as something different to the rest of the culture around me? These are the choices that we're facing and these are what these seven churches are facing challenge, difficulty, hardship and this is to be expected today so don't be surprised, don't be shocked when our Christian faith is pushed back against, it's pushed on. Okay so what happens with us when this challenge comes from the world we live in, when they begins to push on us, when the world goes in one direction and it calls us to go with them But Jesus tells us not to follow them, but to follow him. What happens when that scenario is taking place? What happens with us? Pressure begins to build, doesn't it? Something begins to happen within us. We feel like a tug of war on the inside. There's a part of us that sort of wants to go one way and it's sort of drawing us and alluring us down that path. But there's another part within us that wants to go back the other way and we have this sort of this tug of war taking place within us have you felt that pressure before have you felt that pull one part wants to go there and another part wants to go you've got this sort of tug of war taking place inside of you well these seven churches are feeling that tug of war they're feeling that pressure and some of them have compromised and they've followed the world Now, I'm just going to read through this quickly. We're not going to bring them up there for you. But Pergamon, in chapter 2, verse 14, compromises with the world. Thyatira, in chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, it compromises with the world. Sardis, in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, in a compromising way, has this hypocritical witness to the world that Jesus says. 
and then Laodicea, where Louis read for us before in chapter 3, it seems like a basket case when it comes to compromising the gospel. In various ways, through these letters, the faith and the confession of Jesus has been on the line with these churches. And what have they done? Not all of them, but at least five of them, they've wilted under the pressure. They've actually fallen apart. They've compromised on the gospel. They've compromised in Christ. In their mind, what have they done? They've actually, they've done a deal with the world. In this tug of war, in this pulling, in this pressure that's happening here, in, a, in their mind, they've done a deal. Okay, if we just soften our stance a little here, so then we can fit in with you guys. Because we don't want to look too different. We don't want to look too strange. So we'll sort of meet you about halfway. And we'll just compromise a bit. And we'll just lower our standards. That's what they've done. Here's where I think compromise starts with Christians. It starts when we lose our love for Christ. Have a look with me here in uh, verse 4 with uh, the letter written to to Ephesus. It says this, Jesus says this, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Jesus says, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. You loved me greatly at first, Jesus says. You had a fervency for me. You had a strong desire to love me and obey me. You did that willingly and gladly. You had a real desire to whatever I said, you would do that. You loved me greatly. But now you've lost that first love. That willingness to follow me, that willingness to treasure me, no matter what, you've walked away from, Jesus says. You've left that behind. You see, this is where compromise starts. It's when our love begins to grow dim. You see, when we lose our love for Jesus, that is just not that important to me anymore in a true sense, because some might say, yeah, I still love Jesus, but not truly treasuring him as your supreme love. It might be a verbal thing, but not truly treasuring him as the supreme love. When that happens and the things of this world begin to grow brighter to us and that we'll think we'll find life here instead of in Christ, compromise starts. And here's what compromise is. It's a slippery, muddy path downhill and you're in bare feet. Once you start down the path of compromise... It's very hard to stop. You just keep sliding. You just keep slipping down and you can't stop. With each test or with each challenge we face with the decreasing or absent love for Jesus, with each time that comes around, we become more and more like the world around about us in compromise. How does that look? We may compromise with our thinking and what we allow into our minds. When we first loved Jesus, we would be very careful on how we thought and very careful what we allowed into our minds. But when we begin to compromise, when worldly concepts are presented to us, which are ungodly, in compromising, we just begin to accept those concepts or those ideas or those thoughts about the world. We don't stop and critically think about them from a gospel perspective. It can be as simple as some of the stuff we let happen on our TV screens or any screen. A little bit of sex or nudity is okay. It's just natural. It's just natural. Everybody's doing it. But when our love for Jesus burns low, our filter 
for what we allow our eyes to see and our minds to think on and meditate on, that filter for what is right in his eyes, just lets more and more of this immoral rubbish and downright filth into our hearts and minds. As we compromise, as our love burns low, we just watch anything. The filter doesn't filter anymore. We just accept it. We compromise there. We also compromise when our love for Christ burns low on what we wear. The world puts pressure on us to wear certain things so that we will look cool. So we compromise. Or things can get even worse. I haven't flown for about two and a half years, but uh, the other week I flew to Sydney and back for a leadership development um, for the church. And uh, I was shocked. I was shocked by the amount of flesh paraded in front of me in the airport terminal and on the plane. Now, I love young ladies and I have three young lady daughters, so I'm not picking on young ladies, but they were the ones who at this point were causing me the most shock. So many young ladies there um, showing so much cleavage, short shorts and bared midriffs made it really difficult. Uh, Like, where do I look? Maybe I'll just look down here just brazenly on the plane and brazenly in the airport terminal. I just was shocked by it. I came back and said to Laura, I said, I've been flying for two and a half years, but I just couldn't believe what people were wearing on that. Compromise. Compromise. Jesus calls out modesty to glorify him as our King and Lord and Saviour. But we compromise and we glorify ourselves by joining with the world and wearing what they wear, just joining in with them to be part of them and not willing to be different the way Christ calls us to be different. When that happens, that's evidence of a heart that's burning low in love. It's not treasuring Christ. It's beginning to compromise with the world. Now, there's a million other places I could go with that, and I'll speak of some of the pain of that today, Dishonesty, business dealings, where we all can compromise. It's compromise. Now, it's really not surprising here that this last letter is sent to Laodicea. It it looks like they've completely lost their identity as a church as you read through that. But see, that is the end result of compromising. When you go so far down that path, you you lose any resemblance of a follower of Jesus because you've compromised so much that people look at you, I can't tell the difference. Now, it's not necessarily by what you wear as the only measure, but there's plenty of other measures as well. But when you compromise that much, people say, I don't know whether you're a follower of Jesus, you just look like the rest of us and you act like the rest of us and you live like the rest of us. Laodicea was just like that. Living for Jesus and a gospel-centered life will present us challenges in this world. Will we compromise or will we conquer? Now, as much as there's a number of things that Jesus confronts here quite strongly in his letters, and if you've read through letters, uh, chapters 2 and 3, uh, Jesus doesn't mince any words here with these churches for in the position they're in. He's out of grace, warns them very strongly with language like, I will remove the candlestick from your church, I'll remove the presence of the Holy Spirit from the church. He's quite strong, but this is not Jesus' intent for those churches. His intent here for the seven churches is to conquer and to overcome the situations they are facing. Have a look at what Jesus says here in verse 7 to the uh, church of the Ephesians. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. You will find this phrase in all seven churches, in all seven letters that he sends to these churches. To the one who conquers. This is Jesus' call for that church, for those individuals to conquer, to conquer life, to conquer the challenges you're facing right now. Jesus doesn't want us to compromise with this world. He doesn't want us to just roll over and just let it all happen. He wants us to conquer the trials and challenges that we will go through. This actually is the thrust of the whole of the book of Revelation right here, echoed through these seven letters to the seven churches. See, Revelation is not a call for us to unravel the mystery of the return of Jesus and then pack our bags and sit quietly at the station waiting for the glory train to pick us up. You read through these seven churches, it's not about that. It's not about packing their bags and sitting at the station and waiting for the glory train to come. Revelation is a call to conquer. It's a call to persevere. It's a call to not give up and not give in. That's what Revelation's about. John writes to these churches here so they won't lose sight of Jesus and the ultimate victory that he secured for them at the cross. He wants them to come back and focus upon that. And Jesus, uh, John wants us, sorry, and the seven churches to keep our eyes fixed on this at all times and to stay the course of perseverance, not rolling over and compromising, to persevere to the very end. This is so important to get this when you're reading the book of Revelation. You've got to see it that way. If you read it like a word search puzzle and I'm trying to spot the hidden clues somewhere about the various beasts and the bowls and the scrolls and the if you read it like a word search puzzle, you run the risk of potentially missing everything that John's writing here. If you see it as some sort of mystery whodunit thing, you probably will miss the entire perspective of why John is writing this book of Revelation. But, If you read Revelation like John intended it to be read, in perseverance, in conquering and overcoming, what you'll see, you'll see gospel encouragement from chapter 1 to chapter 22. Because that's precisely what John is doing for these seven churches. He wants them to persevere. He wants them to conquer. He wants them to overcome. And here is this idea of conquering. Conquering and persevering is an integral part of the gospel. It's paramount in the gospel. Here's how Paul saw it in Philippians chapter 1. He says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's a powerful verse right there. That's a powerful verse about perseverance. He who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is perseverance. Those who are truly called by the Holy Spirit will persevere to the end. God will make sure of that. And we will conquer because Jesus has already conquered for us at the cross. So every challenge or every trial that we face isn't a trial or isn't a challenge to earn our salvation. Really important that we get that. As we go through the trial challenge, they're not there to help us earn salvation. So if I can just break this sin of lust, or if I can just break this sin of gossiping, or if I can just conquer this darn screen that it hooks me into pornography all the time, if I can just break that, then I'll get saved. Then I'll, Jesus will accept me. 
No. No. Yes, Jesus wants us to conquer lust and Jesus wants us to conquer gossip and every other sin that actually plagues us. Yes, he wants us to do that, but we don't conquer those things to earn salvation. It doesn't happen like that. The finished work of Christ on the cross is our salvation and this conquering is living out in the foundation of what Jesus has done for us. He gives us the, the confidence to conquer in life from the foundation that we've already conquered everything, not ourselves, but through Christ at the cross. That gives us the confidence to go forward and now conquer what happens and what we face. And that's a huge difference in the strength and power to actually go forward in when we think about that. I'm saved by what Christ has already done. I now live out that salvation in that confidence other than trying to somehow earn my salvation. How does the world see conquering? How does the world, as we possibly think about compromising, how does the world see conquering? I don't know about you guys, you've probably been watching the Winter Olympics. Anybody been watching that the last few weeks? Yep, a few hands going up. There's some amazing athletes there with incredible talents. I mean, what those guys can do on snowboards and that's crazy stuff. It gets up high. One bloke I saw yesterday hit the deck coming halfway down. I thought, I could feel the pain in my back when he did that. They endeavour to conquer obstacles and trials to get to the Olympics and win gold. They're looking to conquer something. How do they do that? Well, some of them just train super hard for years, really, really hard for years on end. And they'll have very positive people around surrounding them, giving them sort of positive affirmation. And they'll build resilience and they'll build conviction of confidence into their training as well as they try and conquer these obstacles. And you'll often hear a repeated phrase in their mantra or in their talk. You've got to believe in who you are. Some of their speeches later on, you've got to believe in who you are. Or you'll hear this, you know, to get where I've got to, you've got to dream a big dream and you've got to go chase your dreams. That's how they build their confidence as it were to conquer. That's not a guaranteed success formula. That doesn't work, believing in yourself and having a big dream. Why do I know that? Well, there's only one gold medal and there's hundreds of athletes, if not thousands of athletes that have believed in themselves and had a big dream and didn't even get past the first trial event, let alone make it into the finals. Now, well done for getting there. Hats off to you, but you can have as much belief in yourself as you want and as much as it were, dream, a biggest dream you possibly, that's not the success formula. That's not what gets you there. For those people, their dreams are shattered. But the gospel is a better story. The gospel is a true story. Yes, we are called to conquer. With conquering comes resilience and convictions. And this is precisely what Jesus builds into us in conquering. Resilience and convictions to be able to conquer whatever comes our way. From, from the foundation, from the finished work of Jesus Christ of the cross, our war against sin has already been won, completed, victory. The devil has no hold on us. He may threaten and accuse and hold up all these accusations against us, but the debt of sin has been cancelled by Jesus at the cross. Our convictions, our convictions, what we believe in, 
are built and strengthened in the person of Jesus Christ. And to live out this conquering faith, just as these seven churches need to live that out, we need to strengthen our convictions in Jesus, not strengthen the convictions in our power, but in the power of Christ that he gives to us. That's why Jesus says to every church in these letters, again a repeated phrase all the way through, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here's the catch. How much you choose to hear Jesus will have a determining factor on how much you overcome in this life and conquer. If you choose to hear little of Jesus and have low convictions you'll probably only conquer little. If you choose to hear lots of Jesus and build your convictions on that, you'll overcome more and conquer more. The more you hear and the more you listen to the words of Jesus and build your convictions on that and put them into action in your life, not just allowed to be mental sort of gathering of facts and data, but actually live it out, the more you'll conquer. What's the alternative to that? If you don't do that, well, it's compromise, as we just saw through these churches here in chapters 2 and 3. Jesus also grows our resilience in our lives as well, so that we can conquer. Now, resilience isn't a great attribute of Western culture. We're not a very resilient culture in this day and age. We're a culture that is saturated by comfort-driven stuff. We want everything with a push of a button, We don't want to work. We don't want to go through hard stuff. This is the Western culture I'm talking about. And that just breeds people who aren't resilient. We're like wallflowers that just wilt in the first moments of pressure. That's not what what Jesus calls believers to. See, Jesus doesn't remove us from trials and the tribulations of life. He doesn't sort of take us out and put us in this bubble and we just never have to have come across any trial or struggle or challenge. That's not what Jesus does. The Holy Spirit, in his power, uses those trials, uses those challenges, which he will do for the seven churches here and he'll do for us as well. He uses them to strengthen our faith so that we become more resilient. We become stronger and we're able to conquer this world. Every time we persevere through another challenge, then the Holy Spirit, he helps us to, as it were, exercise our spiritual muscle through faith. Every time we go through a challenge, we actually deepen our faith and we grow stronger to face the next trial, to face the next challenge. And here's the beautiful thing about resilience, which these guys would have experienced here, and if you'll experience it too, if you'll take hold of it, is that when we actually go through those trials... Christ becomes sweeter to us. We see the strength that he's infused in our lives as we've stepped forward to go into those trials and those challenges. It happens every time. Conviction and resilience to conquer come from Jesus Christ and what he's already achieved for us at the cross. That's grace. That's what he gives us. If you're thinking about grace, go back and have another look at later to see it later on today. They didn't deserve anything. Jesus actually gave them probably the sharpest rebuke out of all those seven churches. But how does he finish up with Laodicea? He doesn't give up on them. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Let me in. Let me back into your life. So Jesus is not about giving up on people. 
He's about giving us the grace to stand strong. You see, these seven letters here, they set us up for the rest of Revelation. We live in a similar world to what they live in, facing similar struggles. Living for Jesus and facing the challenges where our culture is beginning to push back against us is going to bring difficult times. And in this last, perhaps 20 years, there's been a major cultural shift. Things will not get better. Things will get harder for being a believer in this world. And we've got to think about that for our children as well. So we are so looking forward to starting EC Kids again in a couple of weeks' time because we can complement what parents are doing to help build strong gospel foundations and prepare them for the world they're going to come into. So here's the question, guys. In the face of this really subtle but ever-increasing pressure that we're facing in this world, we have to ask ourselves, what will we do? What will we do? When the pressure comes from the culture to push on Christian principles and Christian standards, will we become cowards? And will we just compromise and just roll over with the world? Will we just give in to the world's pressure and just go with the stream, go with the flow? Or will we listen to the words of Jesus here as he speaks to these seven churches, focus our lives on the cross deepen our convictions in him, grow our resilience in the Spirit's power to conquer this life. Will we do that? Because you see, with Jesus, you and I can't lose. We can't lose. We won't lose if we're building our convictions in Christ and growing our resilience in him. Yes, they may laugh at us, Yes, we might feel really embarrassed. Yes, they may hurt us. And yes, they even are killing some of us today. Yes, all those things will happen, but we can't lose. Think about Antipas at Bergaman. He died for his faith. What did he receive? He received the crown of life. You can't lose. Let's pray. Father, thank you as we come now to just think about these chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation. Father, we thank you for the seven letters you've sent to the seven churches. Jesus, we thank you for the love for those churches you have. We thank you for your words of truth that do expose us, but encourage us and draw us back into relationship with you. Lord, I know today the pull of this world. It is fiercely strong at times. The desire to compromise is so, so strong. And Lord, maybe there's many sitting in me right, in front of me right now who just say, that's me. That's me. I just can't take the pressure. I just go with the flow. I just roll over and I just compromise with the world. I speak like them. I act like them. I think like them. I wear clothes like them. I just can't stand up against it. God, we thank you for your grace and kindness that comes to us and restores us. Lord, I pray right now, please, Holy Spirit, build into our hearts and minds renewed convictions in Jesus Christ, renewed convictions in the gospel. Build within us a resilience to say no to this world. Build within us, Lord, a willingness to say yes, Lord, give me the strength that I need to look different, to act different, to speak different. 
And I pray that through that, Lord, that you would help us to be a church that radiates and reflects the, the glory of Christ and his love into this community, that we would truly be able to say and answer that question to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. There's something different about you guys. Can you give me the reason for the hope that lies within you? May that be true of us here at Exchange Church and every other church in Shepherd and I pray. Bless this word to us now we ask, Lord. May we pray it in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.